<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to a Talk Movie to Me special presentation. We are in between seasons right now and have been delivering monthly episodes exclusively to Patreon members, but this was one conversation we couldn't help but share with all of our listeners. If you finish this episode and realize you can't wait till season six to hear more, then head on over to patreon.com slash talk movie to me to become a member and get access to special episodes. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And are we excited to see this film? Yup. And are we going to be spoiling it? Yup. Because this film is nope. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Nope is the third feature film from writer-director Jordan Peele after 2017's Get Out and 2019's Us. And this film tells the story of OJ and Emerald Haywood. That's Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, who are brother and sister who grew up on an equestrian ranch in California where their father, Otis Haywood, played by Keith David, raised horses and trained them to be stunt animals on Hollywood films. One day, random objects fall from the sky, one of which is a quarter that lodges itself in Otis's head and kills him. In the months following, OJ struggles to keep the family business afloat, and Emerald goes back to the ranch to help out. But once there, they discover that something strange is afoot. Over the course of about six months, they realize that there's a UFO watching them and stealing horses, and they devise a plan to capture footage of it, ultimately hoping that that'll be their ticket to fame and fortune. Helping them in that quest are tech store salesman Angel, played by Brandon Perea, and Ricky Jupe Park, played by Steven Yeun, and cinematographer Antlers Holst, played by Michael Wincott. Nope asks the question. In the never-ending cycle of spectacle and trauma, which is the chicken and which is the egg? And which is the giant floating jellyfish-looking thing? (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. First impressions. Helen. So, okay, I loved Get Out. I hated us. I'm going into this with a really optimistic point of view. I'm really, really, really hoping to like it more than us. Why did you hate us? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, right off the bat, I'm finding myself listening very intently to the off-screen dialogue that's happening. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that pretty much everything that Jordan Peele puts in his movies is there intentionally and there's lots of Easter eggs and things like that Um, and we also get this quote from the Old Testament that says I will cast abominable filth upon you make you vile and make you a spectacle and just like okay what I don't know where this is gonna go but I'm I'm paying very close attention to everything that's being thrown at us from the get-go um yes I'm with you Helen that it's an interesting thing. I, I same loved Get Out was me, I think medium on us. Very optimistic for this one. Really excited. But I realized right from the get go that watching this film, you are instantly from the very beginning already. Even though he's only made three films, kind of mm. trained to be looking for and paying attention to all of the subtext and subtleties and what's going on so yeah i heard that quote and i was like is the book of nahum actually real i'd never heard of it in all my days Mm -hmm. um 
fun fact, it is the seventh book of the 12 minor prophets of the Hebrew Bible. I had to look that up. And it's from about the 7th century BC. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and then it like jumps to this like ravaged TV set with this monkey that's got blood all over its hands. And we see the feet of what looks like a woman's body lying on the ground. It's very creepy. And I was like, okay, now this has to mean something. But what the Jesus does it mean? Mm. So that's that's where I was at too. Yeah. How about you, Sinclair? Okay, so I just need to say that I was very excited to go see this in the theater. Mm, I was really mm -hmm. looking forward to it. And just right before the the movie started, there was a trailer for 3,000 Years of Longing, the new George Miller Oh, yeah, I saw that too. If you guys saw that before the movie. So I was instantly getting pumped. Oh, it's with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. It's this um, story of like the consequences of wishes. And Idris Elba is a genie, and she I like Idris is a genie. So I was like getting punked cool. already. I was like, yes, okay, this is great. And then what I thought was the beginning of Nope was actually a non-trailer for Oppenheimer. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah. <laughs> did you think that too? I thought Nope had started. And same. There there, okay, then that must be intentional if we all saw that. Yeah. It's, it, it felt like it was the start of Nope. Yeah. There was this time card that came up and I was like, damn it, Christopher Nolan, you tricked me with your non-trailer. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> so instantly time. I was like, okay, well, that's not the start of Nope. Uh, but when <laughs> Nope did finally start, yes, you see that that quote there and I love a good quote at the beginning of a film but I feel like mm. it does kind of act as a thesis statement yeah you know yeah. you're picking up the key words so like this idea of spectacle was already kind of given to me so I was like mm -hmm. okay well spectacle is obviously a huge theme in this which we'll get into it but you already have that in your mind but I'm more than happy to start getting the wheels turning and looking for things and right Jordan Peele films do that and I, I love that so I was really ready to go when, when this started. I do wonder if it, he runs the risk of becoming a bit like and I'm sure that this will come up but like an M. Night Shyamalan mm -hmm. type where. Well we, that's what we compared us to was this too many ideas there's too many threads to put together and it just started to defy logic and mm -hmm. it was just too much yes exactly so with this one it's like but even the thing of like i know that there's going to be all of this deeper meaning so i'm just so primed it's a different way right. of watching a film but then and again that could just be us that could just be the the <laughs> types like us. The there are three some of us? The three <laughs> of Not us, us, yeah. us. <laughs> No, the three of us are people that like to do that in movies. I think a lot of people right. went into this not planning to do that and maybe just enjoyed it as something that wasn't that. Well, <laughs> I know? went to see it yesterday yeah. with my little brother, Sean, and mm -hmm. he absolutely was the latter. Uh, mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it was interesting to watch it with him. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he didn't after. like he didn't like doing that then. No, he was like, you shouldn't have to do that for a movie. This is right. like escapism. Why the hell do I need to like think about everything? <laughs> right. Yeah. See. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, why don't we get into the storytelling of it? Some of the themes, some of the fun stuff. So yeah, I think that the, this film obviously is going to be really pretty rich thematically. There's all kinds of mm. things to talk about, um, which is why we're having this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I guess I want to start it off. There was a quote that. Jordan Peele gave to Empire Magazine and I think it kind of sums it up and in a way from his perspective on it and then maybe that'll lead us into our conversation. So he says I started off wanting to make a film that would put an audience in the immersive experience of being in the presence of a UFO 
And I wanted to make a spectacle, something that would promote my favorite art form and my favorite way of watching that art form, the theatrical experience. And as I started writing the script, I started to dig into the nature of spectacle, our addiction to spectacle and the insidious nature of attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, do you want to talk about spectacle? Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, that's that's the front and center one, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Spectacle is like, I would say, the biggest theme in this. It's the most overt theme and it can be a good and a bad thing and I think that Nope does a good job exploring the duality of that I think that filmmakers feel like they need to make something big in order to get people into the theater especially since Mm. COVID generally it would be a Marvel movie that does that or something like Top Gun Maverick so I think that Jordan Peele he is using this idea of spectacle in a Hollywood epic to get people to the theater but he also does have this intention of teaching something when they're there when he has Mm -hmm. their brains sitting there the one thing I do appreciate about him is that he is one to always make a statement and he's mm-hmm. always using his his films to subvert a genre and an idea that we already have. So I feel like, you know, he he's critiquing spectacle and our culture's obsession with it, but at the same time, he is using it to make movie magic and to also get people to to think and to, to show us something as well. So there's a good duality there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I have to just say how I feel about this movie because I can't, like, talk about it. I Okay, so this fell somewhere in between us and Get Out for me. I didn't dislike it, but I still wasn't like, oh, my God, this is amazing, the way I felt about Get Out, mm-hmm. which, I mean, maybe it is unfair to, like, have this incredibly high bar, although that's the bar that he set for himself, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So there was things that worked for me about this, and there's things that didn't work for me about it. Mm-hmm. I definitely, you know, took in all of that, that, the uh, idea of being so overtaken by the spectacle that you don't care about whether you live or die, basically. I mean, that's one of the things that actually really didn't work for me in terms of storytelling. But, um, it, but Edison, it didn't work for you? A certain aspect of that, yeah. Mm. But Edison, was there something you wanted to say about spectacle before I talk about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> There's so much. Every There's a element, lot to say about spectacle. Every <laughs> element of of this film is touching on that. I think it's not just like a commentary on spectacle. It's a commentary also on like profiting off of trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the spectacle of trauma. And I actually think that it's it's interesting that it's a huge budget, <laughs> like movie yeah. film spectacle that's also very intentionally profiting off of the spectacle of the film and yeah, yeah. all the rest of it like <laughs> yeah. it's so meta, meta but that's yeah. that's kind of cool that's his thing mm-hmm. but it's down to every single detail I mean the freaking character's name is OJ right. one of the most famous spectacles of the 90s was the OJ Simpson <laughs> yeah. trial yeah. it's yeah. an interesting and, choice for your hero of the film for sure mm-hmm. You're yeah it's certainly intentional and yeah. that is still like it's still going on the spectacle mm-hmm. from that people are still profiting from that it's literally the oj trial is literally responsible for the freaking kardashians well and it's also the spectacle of a a black man in the media Mm. exactly and of course this is a jordan peele film so there's Mm -hmm. commentary on race in there as well but yeah helen like i think you know there's only one first and get out for me is still (laughs) like the one right um but i did really enjoy this i there were some things that didn't work about it and i guess we'll get into those too but i i really enjoyed it yeah i couldn't latch on to oj and emerald wanting to their only reaction to this ufo slash 
sky monster is that we need to get a shot of it. We need to profit off it. And not once, like, let's just not die. <laughs> like, that, I had a really hard time with kind of wrapping my head around that motive. Mm-hmm. Beca- because they, like, I get it with everybody else. And I get what Jordan Peele's trying to say in that. But with our protagonist, there is a part of me that feels like, can you're supposed to sort of be a stand-in for the audience. And, like, I would not be waiting around to get a shot of that thing. I would be running for my fucking life. <laughs> well, that's a funny thing where it's like the title is Nope because Nope would be the first word out of my mouth the second <laughs> yeah. I saw that ship. And then I'd be in a new state, like instantaneously right. on a flight out the door. Bye. Yeah. But so I do I do totally get that. But but I think the what is happening there is that they're trying to OJ and Emerald are trying to mm. reclaim their place in history, mm-hmm. right? So we have this whole thing about their great great right. Th- there's a third great grandfather, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, being the first jockey and the first movie star and all of that, and just thankless. And that's part of you know the other conversation about this about the erasure of black contribution to history, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of what's motivating them primarily. But I agree with you, it. That seems like a idea motivation, right. not an actual human motivation. Reaction. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it is this idea of subverting genre and expectation. There's a lot of commentary on surveillance culture in this, and you have mm. to have your camera ready. You have to be able to mm. capture things, not for memory, but for money. Mm. And as much as we want to get behind the protagonists in the film, I actually like the fact that he didn't put them above critique of being part of that society mm-hmm. as well. Their whole thing is they want the Oprah shot. They want to get there first. And as much as we can see that as a negative thing of them being part of the culture, at the same time, it is this idea of black people in the arts and having something mm-hmm. that's theirs and white people coming in and taking it over and profiting off of it and making money off of it. There is a motivation behind it that's been set by society and by that particular industry. Yeah, I get that. And and I do like that. I agree with you. I like that he touches on, like he he doesn't let them just be above critique in that one point. Mm-hmm. Like there's the, there's mm-hmm. the one point when Angel says to them, but what we're doing is good, right? Like we can save lives, help people. And very clearly that's like an absolutely brand new thought to everyone else sitting at that table because that is not what's motivating a single person in that film. But there's been a lot of critique of uh, people writing black characters as this like sanctimonious, like have to be perfect um, to make up for the imagery that we've seen of them or the ideas or stereotypes that we Mm. have of them. So real progress is like showing that these characters also have flaws and they don't need Mm. to be presented to us in a perfect way for us to get behind them. One thing that did sort of feel like its own separate film in Mm -hmm. some ways were the flashbacks to Gordy's home, right? So this is this 90s sitcom about a family that brings this chimpanzee to live with them. And I found that genuinely terrifying. Like actually really, really terrifying. And... It's really interesting. This also just comes back to our obsession with spectacle. It all does. Mm -hmm. And this is this big popular sitcom in the 90s. And then Gordy, the chimpanzee, loses his shit, brutally injures some cast members. It's so terrifying to see him like thundering. Like you can see him thumping away on the bodies in a couple of Mm -hmm. scenes. And just Mm -hmm. his like unpredictable movement and the blood everywhere. Like I actually found that to be 
a real horror element in this film. Mm-hmm. The most overtly horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I did really enjoy when we would get those moments. Something that bothered me, though, is is that it feels so disconnected from the rest of the film in a lot of ways. And maybe I missed something, so let me know if I did. But it, like, I get that it has a relation to the way that we treat animals and other creatures. But as far as I could tell, it has nothing to do with alien life. Maybe? Well, okay, but there is the one moment with the shoe. Yes. Where that shoe is standing straight up. And what did that mean? <laughs> I, I think at this, it represented what is to come in terms of the monetization of this event. No, I know that. I, I picked up on all of that. But, like, it, it, it felt a little bit like it was meant to represent more than it actually did in the end. To me, to be totally honest, I actually thought that it was perhaps like calling to the actual events itself, like maybe Mm -hmm. some type of possession. Now, this is very Mm. speculative, right? But there was this point in the film too when OJ says to Emerald, I I heard um, Ghost make this sound that he's never made before. And then he took off. And when you see those scenes of the monkey, Gordy, losing his shit, he's screaming and it does not sound like a real animal. It sounds more like the Mm -hmm. alien to me. And then when he's like at the end and he sits down and he takes off his hat, it's almost like he comes out of this trance. Mm -hmm. Now, that was just my read on it where I was like, huh, maybe there is some type of like animals being influenced or falling into a trance when they are too threatened or whatever, right? And that connected it directly to the alien itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe the alien was always there. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I think that this is, I think this all does tie in. The treatment of animals, even in the entertainment industry, is something that is definitely explored. Also, there have been a lot of chimp attacks. Oh, yeah. There has been a ton of chimp attacks. There's a reference to a famous chimp who attacked a woman and lacerated her face, and she was on Oprah. So there's this interview <laughs> of her on Oprah, and she wears that veil that oh, the chimp uh, victim okay. in Nope is wearing. So that's a direct reference to Oprah, and it ties into this Oprah shot, Oprah yeah. moment. Uh, did your event mean anything if you aren't on Oprah? That's you right. Know? Mm. Animals need to be handled a certain way on set, just the way child actors do. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of exploitation of them. And they have been known to lash out with just people not listening to the handlers. And we see mm. that with uh, Daniel Kaluuya, with, with OJ trying to wrangle this horse and having a busy set and nobody listening. There's mm-hmm. a way to do things. And, and sometimes um, these steps get missed and accidents happen. So I think that is a commentary on that. But I honestly think that Jupe is one of the most interesting characters in this. And it's a very smart way to show how trauma is turned into spectacle. Yeah. That traumatic experience as a child actor with that chimp. His only recollection of that really is seen through the eyes of Prophet and through the media sensationalizing of it. He gives a speech about his experience by explaining how well the SNL skit went over with audiences. Yeah. That's a great moment. It's a great moment, and it's a weird moment because Mm. 
you see the pain in his eyes, but you almost see this glaze of how he's been taken over by the idea that he can make money off of this. He learned that he could sell this to people. And, you know, his farm is basically an amusement park, an attraction site, and a museum piece that he could sell people $100 to come in and look at this piece of memorabilia from the trauma. It's kind of this Mm -hmm. same way that people do like serial killer tours. Yes, and, he had that uh, let a Dutch couple go in and yeah, like, who knows what. Yeah, like murder house uh, mansions in, in California. And yeah, I just, I loved him in that um, scene where he's basically feeding the uh, the audience to the alien, <laughs> to Jean Jacket. And it, it feels just very like UFO desert cult leader where he's sacrificing <laughs> them and thinks he can tame them, but... Yeah, and that goes back to the animal, too, where you think that you can tame an animal by just telling them what to do. And there's a respect for animals that I think is trying to shine through in this movie. Yeah, and like exactly what you said about him trying, he's literally trying to create the same type of profitability off of the alien itself. I don't think that he was intentionally feeding the people. No, he didn't I don't know think that so that's either. what was going to happen. Um, I think he that was horrified feed the horse. him. He was trying to feed he the horse. He was sacrificing yeah. the horse, but he was knowingly yes. sacrificing the horse. So I think he, and had could, he could have knowingly been sacrificing the people as well. I think that's I th- open for ter- interpretation. Maybe. Yeah, sure. But I think it's kind of cool, too, because they're in that, in his behavior, is this sort of idea that the only way to actually profit off of trauma is to sacrifice our humanity. Sacrificing humanity literally like i was saying. <laughs> literally sacrificing humanity but you see him his pain and his fear in the flashbacks as a mm-hmm. child yeah and those close-ups on his eyes it's like super overwhelming and then when it cuts to him as an adult it's almost like wistful mm-hmm. and it's there's a disconnect a dramatic disconnect but that's the truth where it's like okay if i'm going to handle my trauma in this particular way it's like you're not addressing it you're shuffling it to the back burner and finding some other way through it and in a weird way cutting off that actual part of your humanity that is connected to life and Uh like you know but that's the idea of using entertainment and using spectacle as a way to suppress our feelings and to like like we said at the beginning of this episode you know your brother wanted to go turn off his brain and just Mm -hmm. escape yeah. You know, I did read somewhere that like when Gordy comes up to Jupe after he takes off his hat, I, he signs something and he signs what happened to family. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Amazing. So see, yeah. that, that that goes back. I did not know that. I love that. So now mm-hmm. I'm standing by um, the notion <laughs> that Gordy was in a, a trance like state. Right. And maybe the alien is as well, right? There's nothing inherently evil about an animal that's like murderous mm. and awful. It's that maybe when they're threatened, when they feel they like see red and go into this other spot, right? Mm-hmm. It's not their fault. We've provoked them into that action. Or the aliens were there before and Gordy was just like, you know, possessed by one. But anyways, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, because animals have been exploited for our entertainment Mm. especially horses i feel like horses are just supposed to be free and and beautiful Mm. and in the wild and they have to be the animal that's like exploited the most they're such a like really multi-used 
mm. animals. I know. From like show ponies to mm-hmm. racing to yeah. actual work animals, all of it. Mm-hmm. So in this one, they they actually had a, a proper horse handler in this. He's a, a veteran horse handler who did War Horse and Sea Biscuit. He basically spent a lot of time with Daniel Kaluuya to make him feel comfortable with the horses. But they used this organization called Compton Cowboys who are a group of black equestrians that oh, cool. basically work to you know represent black people as equestrians hmm. i think that this film does have a critique of how many times hmm. do you see a black hero on a horse mm-hmm. you know so there was mm-hmm. very much that and i thought that was a really cool organization i was like yeah jordan peele just introducing me to reading mm. reading all this, <laughs> this this cool stuff about representation and they worked with Daniel Kaluuya to teach him how to be a cowboy. I thought that was really cool. It was like the proper way to handle the horses and make that a really positive experience for everyone mm-hmm. on set. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's actually awesome. Um, well, speaking of the animals of it all, I would be completely amiss if I didn't talk about <laughs> the Jaws of it all. Yeah. yeah. This film is Jaws. I, this is the most overt sort of tribute or callback to that film and Jaws is my favorite movie of all time Mm -hmm. but like everything about this film is Jaws it's Mm -hmm. wild story of Jaws you all know it's Mm -hmm. this shark is stalking all of these people in Amity Island and killing them one by one and it like retreats and then comes in and kills people and then retreats and that is this Mm -hmm. and they go out they recruit the cinematographer who has the fucking most whiskey soaked gravelly voice that you could possibly conjure yeah like who gives sam elliott a run for his money and that is absolutely you know this film's quint jaws was about like that classic battle of man versus nature and that's this one too and i think that even within all of this there's also that conversation about just stop trying to fuck with nature Mm -hmm. right (laughs) stop trying to tame these beasts and you you can't just do it let them let them be let them be. Well, yeah, and the alien is also sea-like as totally. well. Totally, it's I like a giant was, jellyfish. Yeah, which I thought was a cool nod to to Jaws as well. I will say so. The though the alien itself was mm. something that didn't work for me. Yeah, I like think about alien films. I want the alien to be iconic, especially yeah. when yeah. there's only one alien. It should mm-hmm. be something that people want to go as for Halloween or that <laughs> people do different sketches of for posters. Do this if you were really creative, <laughs> it would just look like an Iris Van Herpen dress, um, or like that that people get tattoos of. Like this alien, I thought was like totally unremarkable. It was a, mm-hmm. just a flying saucer with a hole, and then it transformed inexplicably into this big ethereal jellyfish-looking thing. Like, I like the flashing little box at the center, but I don't know. It just felt so disconnected from the earlier visual of the flying saucer. I was like, I I don't know the alien. And why does it unravel like that? What's the purpose? I agree. Yeah, I felt the same way. And I think that that's part of where I felt a little bit let down in this movie. Even the we we get a scene where you think you're about to see aliens. Yeah. Um, And... That was so creepy, and I loved yeah. it. I loved seeing the little like aliens pop out in the Terrifying. stable, and then you realize they're just kids dressed up as aliens. But I that got me super excited. I was like, "Oh my god, we're gonna see what Jordan Peele thinks aliens look like." Uh-huh. Which I mean, we do, but like there was something very, very creepy and intriguing about that 
particular scene and then yeah towards the end where it does start to morph and it's just like looks like origami in the sky I was kind of <laughs> like why is this happening like we haven't seen this before where is this coming from and it didn't it I don't know it didn't quite work for me mm-hmm. the the alien itself yeah agreed it was beautiful visually but right like, yeah I didn't get get the why I, yeah. I I actually really liked jean jacket because it is like genre defying and it is this mm. creature that morphs based on threats or based on motivation and it's I think what Jordan Peele is doing here is jean jacket represents different genres of film like you see mm. the classic UFO form mm-hmm. which we're used to something we immediately know and then it morphs into this sea like creature that I think is a, a representation of just the vastness of what something can be, whether it's sea or sky or universe or whatever it is. It's, it can be all of these things. And then there's a lot of biblical references running through this film, especially with that quote at the beginning. And mm. part of the look of this alien was taken from um, the look of like biblical angels as well. Oh. And when the mouth opens, remember when the mouth was opening and you see it looked kind of like an old camera? Oh, yeah. It made me think that this this entity is surveying us, like Mm. taking photos of us. Mm. Um, Oh, that's cool. It ended up being this this old old camera. So I think it was a mishmash of all these different things to create this this Mm -hmm. morphing creature because this movie is genre defying. That is really cool, but like, do you want it as a tattoo, <laughs> or or can you picture an action figure of Jean Jacket? No. <laughs> right. Can I say my favorite thing though about mm-hmm. yes. Jean Jacket? My absolute favorite part of this movie is when it right after it sucks up everyone at Jupiter's claim and then comes over and basically throws up on the house. Yeah, it's super and biblical. Raining blood, yeah. like that was incredible. I loved that scene so much. And I I guess what I wanted after watching that was like more of that. Like I wanted to see that just like horror raining down. Mm-hmm. Um, you but wanted something full of, you apocalypse. Know, yeah. You wanted full plague. Yeah. <laughs> and seeing the house rained in blood was so eerie and effective. And then uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character in the car experiencing that. Did you not feel like you were in a car wash? Yes, I was like, this is that scary. But I was like, this is that scary moment in the car wash where you're like, oh, my God, is it going to eat me? Like, I was like, this has to be completely inspired by being in a car wash. Yeah, I I did think that that was cool. I also thought it was like genuinely scary. The scene when he sucked up when Jean Jacket sucked up all the people and you see the sort of claustrophobia of them getting like pulled up and digested. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually really freaky. Yeah, speaks to this like inherent claustrophobia that maybe we all have. So yeah, I do appreciate that. I want to talk about this as horror uh, because I do think that a lot of people are going to go into this and feel disappointed because it's not the type of horror that you were looking for like Helen I think Mm -hmm. you were looking for a type of horror yeah um, that this film wasn't this film is true cosmic horror some Mm. people are going to find that scarier than others it's the idea of the unknown it's the idea Mm. of the deep crevices of the universe and our consciousness and it's the way we can feel very minuscule to Mm -hmm. whatever possibilities are out there and what creatures are hidden in the deep Jordan Peele loves cosmic horror he spent a lot of his career trying to make a mark in that type of horror 
that has Hmm. been rooted in bigotry and racism. H.P. Lovecraft was a notorious racist. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when, you know, you have a love for a genre, but Mm. you've been so misrepresented in that genre. And I think that Jordan Peele has kind of put a stamp on cosmic horror. You see this in, in Get Out the idea of a sunken place this mm-hmm. subdued version of our consciousness it's oh, even so circling around in in us this idea of like a mirrored self under the yes. grounds under in the depth but it's just touched on in those movies where i think that this one is full cosmic horror i think some people are going to find that scarier than than others the idea of this unknown monster or entity that can just extinguish us at at any moment in time and it's this realization that we might not be the top predator. We might be here, mm. but, you know, you rip a hole in the fabric of the universe and you don't know what monsters are lying behind that. And I think that that's what is horror about about this film. Hmm. And it's also something that we have no explanation for. We don't have, where did Jean yeah. Jacket come from? Right. You know, yeah. could a jean yeah. jacket just appear any moment while you're having yeah. your morning coffee, Edison, out in Nova Scotia? <laughs> um, I really hope not. But you know? I do I do appreciate, I actually really do appreciate the lack of explanation to any of that. We don't mm-hmm. need it. Mm-hmm. it That's is the just, idea. It's the unknown. It is. It's just yeah. this existential question. And we where where are we at in all of in all of life and the universe and that I appreciate that you're right it's not going to work for everybody a lot of people are more much more literal and aren't going to go with that that Mm -hmm. the idea of of it their brain isn't going to immediately go to these questions but Mm -hmm. I do feel like it's a good point because Jordan Peele also did the Twilight Zone series and Lovecraft Country and love exactly He's really trying to tackle this. Jordan Peele loves the void. He loves staring into the void. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's one of those things where I watch his film and I'm like, I just get this. I like yeah. get him. <laughs> I'd love to just sit down and talk to him about, like, all these different ideas. Well, and I wonder if um, Amber Antler's Holst, that cinematographer, mm. sort of represents of him favorites. in some way in yeah. this, right? Because he is representing this insatiable desire of an artist who, who's fully given over to their work mm-hmm. in such a way that they'd literally die for it right. and willfully die for it, mm-hmm. right? And he has that great quote where he says to Emerald, this dream you're chasing where you end up at the top of the mountain, it's the one you never wake up from. And he sort of fulfills his own prophecy there right. when he like sacrifices himself to get that impossible shot. Yeah. <laughs> I love when he's like, "You don't deserve the impossible shot, Angel." He has he okay. has the, the best lines in the film, you know, totally. where he says like, they they don't deserve the impossible. Like you don't deserve to see my magnum opus. I'm gonna take it with me when I die because you simpletons can't appreciate. My art. <laughs> I know like, it's he's so just amazing. The, the funniest character. They gave him just such epic shots. Like he looked like. He was in Lawrence of Arabia out there. Yeah. With yeah, or Mad Max. Mad Max. Like, it was yeah, like so cool. He could have cool. been Denis Villeneuve out there shooting Dune. Like, he was... Yeah. He just was that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love that. Like, do you think that that was a little bit of, of like, Jordan Peele putting an element of himself in, into this Making film? fun of himself a little Making bit? Making fun yeah, of maybe, himself yeah. a little bit for, like, yeah. trying to, like, achieve this impossible thing all the time? Or right. definitely yeah. people that he's encountered. Throughout yeah. his yeah. his career, just really quickly, there is a real attempt to to rework the western genre. 
here mm. and also pay homage to it at the same mm-hmm. time. It's not just a critique of, of black actors representation in in westerns. It's also bringing attention to movies that black actors have actually starred in that are westerns. Mm-hmm. There was a time in the, the civil rights movement where a lot of black actors were leads in westerns um, like Sidney Poitier and Sammy Davis mm-hmm. and he's bringing attention to those films as well. So it's not just a critique on their position in the industry. It's also bringing forth something positive and something that you can go watch yourself and and learn Mm. about, which I appreciate it. And I also think that it's not even all like it's not just a conversation about black contribution to cinema either. I think it's also just about all of the people in the project in a project that go uncredited, right? Mm -hmm. No one thinks about the people who train horses for stunts for films or all of the people behind the scenes who are necessary for for it. Yeah. And how Hollywood is just this place like, you know, Jean Jacket is kind of like Hollywood. It just chews you up and spits out what <laughs> yeah. it doesn't like. Yeah. Oh my and god. Chews you up and spits you out. It's like, you oh, want. this part is good, tasty. This part bleh, and just let me yeah. spit that out and just kill it. Um yeah. and so there's this also this like 20 feet from stardom thing happening yeah. here. <laughs> where it's like everyone wants to have that moment of being rich and famous, but maybe you're just the backup singer and like that yeah. ain't what your journey is going to be. It doesn't matter how talented you are or how vital your work is or whatever. Well, also and, him wearing that orange crew shirt mm. in his heroic Oh yeah, the yeah, orange yeah, yeah. crew shirt, the Scorpion mm, King. Yeah, where, yeah. Um, right. you know, he only got that hoodie from working on that movie before they replaced horses (laughs) with camels. Um, But he wears that in his heroic shots where he is the leading man. Right. Um, So the the crew is the hero of the film. But the crew is the hero. It's like very much a love letter to to the crew. That's cool. Yeah, out there making movies. One format thing that didn't work for me was the title cards. Mm -hmm. With the names of the horses. I didn't really understand why that was there. I agree. I feel like we've been seeing title cards a lot in movies lately, and I don't like it. I'm like, just tell me the story. I don't need yeah. a chapter title. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm actually totally with you on that. I agree. Yeah. That didn't work for me either. It's yeah. it was like we already have our structure. I don't need it. Yeah. It created a sort of false structure to the yeah, film. and a weird kind of choppiness that I was like, what now? Is my brain supposed to go in a certain direction here? I don't. Like, I would have been fine without them being there. It felt like a play on the Hollywood epic. Like, remember when we watched Cleopatra and everything was in parts? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. It might be like a classic film. Maybe. Yeah. 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 It it kind of was more of a distraction than Mm -hmm. something that was guiding me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's get into performances. Mm Mm-hmm. I I mean, Daniel Kaluuya is incredible in general. I loved him so much in this. Yeah, I did. The scene where he is... Uh, has to give the little speech before Emerald shows up on the commercial set. <laughs> I could have cried. Like he, him trying to give that speech and he like clearly doesn't like public speaking and has like the smallest little voice and like can't remember what to say. Like, I, was, I don't know. I, I, I felt like I, I felt like he had a lot of inner life and depth that isn't necessarily explored in the film, but we see it through his performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I think... F- for me, you'd have to assume that there was a lot of inner life happening because for oh. me, that performance was wildly dull. Oh, okay, interesting. I, it was one of the things like, as much as I did enjoy this film and I love thinking mm-hmm. about what it was trying to say about the culture and mm-hmm, all of that, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. characters, none of the characters really have much of an arc for me. Yeah. And because of that, I didn't really care that much about them. And so 
the ones who worked for me were the ones who were dynamic, at mm. least, mm-hmm. like okay. Kiki Palmer, right? Daniel Kaluuya, this performance was just so stoic and subdued. He's a fantastic actor, but mm. I thought this was really dull and I didn't get it. Mm. And I also thought that there were moments where it was just like, this is just, again, not how a human would react in yeah. this given moment. I love the notion of like, looking out of the truck at this giant alien and then coming in like it's a funny line to give that a beat and go nope but it's it just felt like plot contrivance or something Mm. versus authenticity yeah Mm. this is an interesting choice for sure uh i think that yes he kind of is representing this uh working class hero this very stoic silent type but i also just love the fact that he just represents the film in the sense that he's just over it like, I think, Edison, <laughs> you don't gravitate towards these types of characters really because he kind of is a nihilist in a, in a lot of ways. Mm. He's very over, over it. He doesn't want to confront the absurdity of the world. You know, like his whole thing is, nope, no, mm. not today, not today, right. no. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an odd, it's definitely an odd choice, but it can, it can fit in there, especially with the dynamic with Emerald. Mm. You know, one sibling has qualities that the other sibling doesn't have and they need each other to kind of make this business work without their father yeah I get that and I understand yeah I totally get that in terms of the balancing of each of those characters but in order for that to have really worked for me I would have needed his character's motivations then or his character itself to be written in a more kind of Mm. complete way well he also doesn't have a lot of dialogue yeah no. at all like he's eye acting through this this whole thing <laughs> right <for sure>. literally <laughs> yeah it's very much about where his eyes are pointing. yeah 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 kiki palmer though was a yup for me mm, yeah i remember like remember when she hosted the vogue's 2021 met gala red carpet live stream no and why would i remember that because i definitely <laughs> because i definitely we talked about it in our group chat and oh, i sent well, videos I and stuff it. wow classic <laughs> Um, but she did, and I, I didn't know. I've never really seen her in anything before, and I didn't know even really who she was. But when she hosted that, I was like, "Who is this person? She is mm. so charismatic. It was insane." And I'm so happy to see her it carrying a film like this. And I say carrying because she carried it for me mm. a thousand percent, even with out much sort of character arc and all the rest. Um, I still felt like just her presence was super charismatic and I think she's going to be a star, like a star. Yeah, I love yeah. that you connect. You see, you would connect to her energy for sure. And I would <laughs> connect to Daniel Kaluuya's energy. Right, <laughs> right. Definitely. You know, she's interesting because I looked up her filmography because I realized I have never seen her in anything. I don't think yeah. I had Movie either. wise yeah. like television wise. And I was going through her filmography and... I was like, what is this filmography? Like, there's mm. Nickelodeon. There's a lot of mm. just, like, music credits. And I was like, who is Kiki Palmer? Y- you know, there's um, talk about saying this is not, like, a breakout role for her. She has, like, a hundred and something credits on IMDb. No way, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Honestly, I've never seen her in anything. So this is breakout to me. It's the first yeah. time I've actually seen her in a, in a film. Yeah, I liked Kiki Palmer as well. I thought that she brought, you know, comedic relief. And she had a lot of sparkle. Like, she was very sparkly in this yeah. movie. I I did, and I, you kind of touched on this with Daniel Kaluuya's character, but there is a lack of character arc for anyone. And also just, you know, I was, I would have liked to know a little bit more about their relationship as siblings. But performance-wise, yeah, I 
I found her like very entertaining. I quite liked uh, Brandon Priya as Angel, although there was a part of me that was like, I just wish this is Riz Ahmed. Like I was getting such Riz Ahmed vibes and I was like, oh, I kind of just wish this is Riz Ahmed. <laughs> he was good. He was such a sci-fi geek too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which I think is a piece of Jordan Peele that's written into right. that character. You know, he was mm. mentioning ancient aliens and all these different like nerdy sci-fi shows. And yeah, I think he's like very much the embodiment of Jordan, Jordan Peele's love for that, you know, geeky genre stuff. Mm-hmm. I liked him too. I thought he was really fun here. I had no idea. I kept thinking like, where have I seen him? And I haven't seen him in anything before. Mm, um, yeah, I hadn't either. At the beginning, I was like, I thought he was a little annoying. And I thought, uh, is this is this just like a very tiny character? Who or like just he would only have one scene. One yeah. scene, like yeah. the store clerk yeah. scene. And I was like, okay, fine. But then he, I actually really appreciated him throughout the rest of it. He he was had a different energy than the the rest of them. So I, Angel I had cool. the biggest arc, is what we're saying. More Angel, than Angel had the biggest Emerald. arc. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about Stephen Yun uh, mm. as the character, mm-hmm. and I also thought that as an actor, that was a really good performance. Like they're all capable actors. Yeah. Obviously. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I thought that he was he was really good in this for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, technically, I quite enjoyed this movie and I thought the visuals were very memorable Mm -hmm. um and there was it was it was a pretty film to watch (laughs) yeah this was I mean Sinclair you probably want to talk about your boy there Hoyt Van Hoytema my boy (laughs) Hoyt Van Hoytema who I can love and appreciate because he did not beat Roger Deakins for that oh, Oscar right. so we're we're good me and Hoyt I <laughs> can cool. really uh, really support him and yeah I think that if you're going to make a Hollywood epic in 2022 this is the cinematographer to get for sure mm. he generally in in films that he does he really tackles vastness and big landscapes endless skies mm. like he did Dunkirk and Interstellar and there mm. is nothing more beautiful than the open space in this movie Mm. and everything is so big and it's so vast and it's so endless and they actually shot this on IMAX cameras because they wanted to be able to fit in Mm. land and sky and the house and it was just the best format to do it on and they shot it with 65 millimeter film film. cameras as well yeah Mm. which is also hugely wide wide scale and vast yeah Uh, I thought it was just gorgeous for me that it was the night shots oh, i know yeah like i don't know how you get such kind of depth of of shading and right. like everything was there were 400 different shades of blue and yeah he won't reveal and... it apparently he's not re- what well, really yeah he's not there's certain things that he, he's been asked about how he's got those night shots and he won't reveal he'll only reveal small amounts like the camera Stop and stuff it. but there's um it, it's funny because like some of the interviews with him it's almost like treated like he's like an, a scientist like mishmashing all this stuff together and he won't reveal the uh, secret sauce well it's true though i wouldn't either that's what's getting him booked because mm. i don't i don't know that i've seen night so beautifully shot like this yeah really that not it's not coming to my mind like and i also thought that te- technically there were elements in the directing in the way that it was Paced. Now, some people might say that the first half is slow and da 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 da. But in some of those specific scenes and sequences, 
I thought that Jordan Peele did a really, really fantastic job setting up the pace of it all. Like that, that sequence with the little kids who were dressed as aliens was mm. genuinely horrifying. Yeah. yeah. I screamed. I embarrassed my brother. It was a whole thing. <laughs> but also, it was kind of irrelevant to the rest of the story and was yeah. a total red herring, but that's fine. Well, I think um, it was this play on giving people the aliens they expect to see and want to see. Yes, and subverting mm-hmm. it. And totally. subverting and I, it. But I wanted that. I did want that. I know. I wanted more of it. Yeah, I you know, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tease. <laughs> 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 yeah, in terms of score, this was a really interesting s- score, and I feel like it would be a hard. I feel like it would be a hard film to compose for. This is a a composer that he's used in his his other films, uh, Michael Abels, and he is described as uh, a genre defying, which is also what Jordan Peele is as a director. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of. Two peas in a pod. Yeah, two (laughs) peas in a pod. This one's kind of hard because it's a Western, it's a sci-fi, it's a horror. Yeah. And it's also, you know, harkening back to Hollywood epics. So you have that sound in there. And then um, there was a lot of like violin moments I found too that like felt very Hitchcockian as well. And then I find like with Jordan Peele movies, there's also songs that are just curated for the film as well that go on the soundtrack that always work and always have meaning. Like you can even listen to Purple People Eater. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to the Nope soundtrack. That was in my head for like a full hour yeah. after I left this film. Yeah. I did find, I don't know, of the, his three films, I thought the score was least memorable in this one. I agree, mm-hmm. actually. I, yeah. It was uh, when I'm trying to re- think back on it and, and reflect, it's not what I... I can't remember specific mm-hmm. moments or details of yeah. the score kind of impacting the film. It's probably because it was, it was all so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't pinpoint that one iconic uh, moment with the score. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. What's the last word on nope? The last word for me is yup. And I <laughs> truly, like, I really enjoyed this film. There were things about it that didn't necessarily work for me. But overall, I really enjoyed watching this. And I think with his films, because he's such a writer and director who likes to explore different things and, you know, subvert genre and all the rest of it, there's always going to be parts of it that work and parts of it that don't work, mm. right? He's a challenging filmmaker and he challenges himself as a filmmaker. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't a home run for me, but I it wasn't not a home run in the sense that S was for me. I'm still not sold though. I'm mm-hmm. still I'm still not 100% on board. Now that we've talked about it, I do want to watch it again and see if I feel a little bit differently about it, but it didn't leave me f- I mean, I'm still wanting that feeling I had when I saw Get Out, and I, mm. I haven't I haven't gotten it again. You're chasing the dragon. I'm, I am. I'm chasing it. Uh, this isn't this is isn't MDMA, honey. <laughs> uh, Sinclair. Yeah, I I really liked this. The thing that I appreciate about him is what you were touching on, Edison. Is he he's an experimenter. He's in a tour, and some things are going to work, and some things aren't. But he always has a purpose and he always has a vision. He's always putting these little pieces together and seeing if if they make a good whole. I'm up for the experiment of it. I'm up mm-hmm. for going and working through this with him. I think it's a fascinating journey. And I'm always excited to talk about his films, whether I don't like it or if I do. It is a great time and it's a great exercise in, mm-hmm. in thinking. 
<laughs> I agree. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. It's like my little brother. You know, he said people don't watch movies. After he's like, people don't watch movies to like go through all of that. And I was like, well, some do. Yeah, and that's why you go to <laughs> this film, right? Right. All right. Well, this has been a special presentation episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to hear more before we start season six, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome to become a monthly member and access all of our exclusive episodes. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Bye. Bye.